Welcome to another sermon from New Bethel Baptist Church. I hope that this sermon will help you to better know who God is, challenge you to grow in your faith, and compel you to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. This morning, we are going to be uh, looking at, at what I'm calling this morning Meditations from the Manger. If you see on the screen up there, you can see um, what we know as the Nativity, right? If you, Many of you probably have in your home a Nativity set, and there's all sorts of shapes and sizes. I know the kids have little ones that, that you can play with, and they can, they can see and, and, and take part in what um, happened at the Manger. So as we look at this, we're going to take a moment and look at every person that is present at the manger, that's present in in the nativity, and and see what we can learn from them and what we can maybe learn from God's inclusion with them and of them at the nativity. So as we prepare to do this, as we prepare to, um, to look at this today, let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. We thank you for this time that you've given us to, to come together to look at your word and, and to look at uh, what, what you've done for us, to celebrate the good news of Jesus Christ's birth and what that means for us. God, I pray that you'd be with us this morning, that you would help us to just reflect on our lives, to see what we can learn from those people that, uh, that, that found their way to, to Jesus around the time of his birth. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn from that this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I think the only place to start when we talk about Christmas, when we talk about the nativity, is with Jesus. The main thing, the main reason for Christmas, the main reason that we celebrate is Jesus. And so we're going to start by looking at him. And in, in many ways, we've already talked in the past several weeks about why we celebrate Jesus. We talked, the first, this has been a little mini-series, if, you, if it hasn't connected all the way through in that way. But the first thing we talked about was, the reason for our hope, the reason for Christmas. We talked about that when we talked about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We read that earlier in John 3.16. But Mark 10.45, I think, says it really well. Why did Jesus come? Why was this baby born? Why are we celebrating? For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In Jesus, we see the ultimate example of love. Love of the Father for us in giving His Son. We see the love of a Savior who came. And we see His heart from the very beginning. Where was Jesus born? Not in a palace. Not on magnificent uh, spread. Not a magnificent spread where it was something fit for a king. But in a manger. Surrounded by animals. He was humble in his birth, and and through his life, why did he come? Not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And this was a a stumbling block. This was something that was difficult for a lot of the people in his day to understand. Many people looked at, at the prophecy that we still see in the Old Testament. There's prophecy in the Old Testament that is not yet fulfilled because it talks about the day of the Lord. It talks about the return of Christ in the Old Testament, although they thought that might be the first time he came. So they were expecting a conquering king to come and to overthrow the Roman government to establish his kingdom that would never be upended. But that wasn't why he came initially. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And in this we see the ultimate example of love. We see that Jesus is God's plan of redemption. Every person needed 
Christ that was there. Every person here needs Christ for our salvation. Every person in this world needs Christ for our salvation. Just like, as Joy said, the answer to all the craziness we encounter in the world is Jesus, is the baby in the manger that we celebrate today. And we talked about how this was planned from the beginning, last, the last week I was here and we preached. This was always God's plan for our redemption. Jesus Christ, our Savior, the baby lying in a manger. And so from this, right, so we see the ultimate example of love in Jesus. And from this, what should we do? We should believe in Him. We should be saved and follow His example of love in our life. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at what we learn from them and what, how we can apply it. So from Christ, the only thing we can do is to worship, to respond to what He's done for us, respond to this love that He has for us, and then live our life and follow His example of love and how we live. But the next thing we're going to look at actually isn't a person at all, but it's the location that we find ourselves in, Bethlehem. We see ourselves in, in, in Bethlehem for this story. In Micah 5.2, one of the prophecies about this, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. We see this small town, and it was a small town. It probably had a lot larger population at this time because of the census and everyone traveling to where they were from. But the estimation was that Bethlehem probably at this time had a, a population of 200 to 300 people. It's a small town. And this is the place where God became flesh and dwelt among us. This is the place where our Savior was born. When we think about God's movement in the world. When we think about the amazing things that God has done in the world, oftentimes we like to think and people like to think about when it is most likely to happen and where it's most likely to happen with the most likely people. But what we see in an example from Bethlehem is that in a humble location, the Savior of the world was born. And so when we look at our lives, when we look at what God is doing, what we want God to do, what we pray for God to do, it's easy to think, and we often talk about this, it's even easy to think that someone else might do it or it will happen in some other location. There are certainly locations that have more people. More, there are cities that are larger than Evansville, even though there are cities that are much smaller, which is where I come from. Right? There are places, there are churches that have more resources, that have more people. There are people that might be more equipped, that might seem more equipped for the task. But what we see consistently in Scripture is that God works when and where He pleases and not according to what man might think. It would make a lot more sense in our mind, right, that the Savior of the world would be born in Jerusalem, right? The, the big hub of, of Jewish life. No, Bethlehem. And so when we think about whether God is going to move, if He's going to do something amazing among His people, it's easy to think that, well, maybe that'll happen somewhere else. But what we can learn from Bethlehem this morning is that we, can, we should trust that God can use the place right where we are for something big for God. In our town, in our church, and in our homes. I think it's very important that we understand that. 
Many of the, the greatest revivals that you see through history don't start in a church service. It might seem that way. Do you know where they start? At someone's home. With them praying, seeking the Lord, asking for God to move in their lives, in the lives of those around them. And then those people come together to worship in a church service. And they come together to follow God, and God moves among them. So what we learn from Bethlehem is that no matter what we may think, no matter what we may look around and see and, and think, oh, well, maybe God will move in this way, maybe God will move in this place. No, God can and will, if we will follow Him, move right where we are. So we should seek Him in that. So the next person we're going to look at, we've looked at Jesus, we've looked at Bethlehem, where it happened. We're going to look at the shepherds. The shepherds, the, the first people that the birth of Jesus was proclaimed to. Luke, we're going to read some selections from this. So Luke 2, 8 through 11, then 16 through 20. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. What do we, what do we see from this? We, we see the shepherds being told about the birth of their saviors from the angels of God with the glory of God showing up. And we also know in the, in the middle of those verses, the whole heavenly host singing and praising God. We think about shepherds, and, and when we think about the Bible and we think about shepherds, we think about these shepherds being told about the birth of Christ. And we also think about God, or we think about Jesus who is the good shepherd. But being a shepherd was not an overly glamorous lifestyle. I want you to think about it. What, what do shepherds deal with? Animals. Sheep is usually what we think about. Animals, sheep. Do animals smell good? No. Right? If, if you maybe you've ever seen the show Dirty Jobs, where the I think it was Mike Rowe would go around and he would go and, and see what jobs people did that other people wouldn't want to do. But if those jobs didn't exist, we wouldn't enjoy the lives we have today. In many ways, I think shepherding is kind of a dirty job, right? Because they had to go around, they had to be with these sheep, they had to protect them from wild animals. What do we see David doing before he was a warrior and a king? He was a shepherd. And who, what did he say he had to defend his sheep from? Lions? Bears? It was a dangerous job. It was a dirty job. It was a job that didn't get a lot of recognition. But without it, the people wouldn't have enjoyed the clothing that they had. So it was a humble job. It wasn't celebrated. They likely weren't rich. They didn't have a lot of money, but they had to do it. And, and these are the people that God chooses to reveal the birth of the Savior of the world to. So what we learn from this, your station in life does not matter. There are people in this world that have more money than they can possibly spend, and there are people in this world that have nothing. And before God, 
All of their worldly acclaim, all of their accolades, their wealth mean nothing. And God chooses to reveal Himself to the shepherds. Not the kings, not those who are... Which He does reveal them to the kings, but we, we will see that He reveals and uses people who are not always what we would expect. So no matter how humble our position in life may be, no matter how lowly you may view yourself, you may not think you're the smartest, you may not be the most wealthy, you may not have, be the most of anything, God can and will use you and include you as a part of His story if you'll be obedient to Him. Because what do we see here from the shepherds? Obedience. The, the angels appear to them, and, and we see something that's very common in Scripture. Angels appear, and what is always the reaction? terror, fear, because I think if we realize the holiness of the Lord, we see these things, we realize that we don't measure up. But do not be afraid, for to you today in the city of David is born a Savior. So what do they do? They go. They go and see what they've been told about. So they were used by God. They were included in this story and they were obedient in following through. And so if we want to be used by God, we want to be a part of what He's doing. When we have been told what's going on, we get told of how we can participate in God's story. We need to be obedient. We need to follow what He calls us to do. But no matter where we may be, no matter how humble our position, or unable we may feel next to others, God cares for us and God will use us for His glory. And then next, we kind of see the opposite of, of the situation. The, the wise men, or, or in, sometimes they may be thought of as kings, often depicted as three. Although, Scripture doesn't ever say there were only three, but there were three gifts. And so often there was there thought there were three wise men, or three foreign kings from a distant land. We're going to read Matthew 2, 1 through 2, and 10 through 11. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. Matthew 10, 2, 10-11, When they saw the star, they, re, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with his mother, with Mary his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasure, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So we see how God exalts and, and brings into his story those who have lowly situations, lowly stations in life. But we see also how those who have, have a lot of wealth, have power and influence, also have a part to play. But what must they do? They must humble themselves before God. See, these are wealthy men. They made the journey. I, I would say it would be difficult for, for many people to make the journey maybe where they came from. It was, a, it was a large journey from the east. I didn't even say where they're from. But they come because they know that the one that was born king of the Jews has been born. And why did they come? To worship him. You see, there's a king that's already there, King Herod, who is the current king of the Jews. And he hears of the birth of Jesus. He hears of the birth of the foretold king. What does he try to do? tries to kill him. We see two options here. You have wealth and you have power, which are all gifts from above. And you come face to face with the one who has given these gifts to you, the God who has made you, the God who loves you. What are your responses? Your options are to 
to basically spit in his face as Herod does, or to humble yourselves and to worship him and to give back what's already been given to you. You see, the wise men, I think are, we, we call them wise for a reason. They understood their place. They understood that they were to serve and to worship this, this Jesus, this one who's been born king of the Jews. People who have power and authority often want and demand respect. But when we come to our God, we must humble ourselves before him. They spent their time, energy, and money to go and honor God. And they didn't wait and see. This is an important thing, too. They didn't wait and see what Christ would become. They didn't wait and see if Christ would fulfill and live up to an expectation of where they deemed him worthy to follow him. They worshiped him as a child. When we follow God, when we understand and we hear what Christ has done for us, there is a temptation, and many people often think, well, what has God done for me? Why should I follow God? Why should I submit myself to him? He's already done everything for you. The, 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 if we want to follow their example, we should humble ourselves and, and humbly serve him. No matter what power, influence, wealth, intelligence you may have, we must humble ourselves before God, our creator. And next we see Joseph. We don't hear a lot about Joseph in the Bible. Outside of the, the, the story of his birth and his very early childhood, we don't hear about Joseph, which means seems to indicate that probably Joseph didn't live into Jesus' adulthood. But we're going to look at what we see in him, about him in Matthew 1, 19-21 and 24-25. And her husband Joseph, being a, a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So Joseph, a man that has lived his life and is about to get married, finds out that his bride-to-be is expecting a child. But Joseph's a good man. Though he could have made a big fuss about this, could have, he had a lot of rights that he could have held up to in, in shaming Mary, was not going to put her to shame. But he has a dream where the angel of the Lord comes to him and he says, don't be afraid to take her of your wife as your wife because this is from the Holy Spirit. And so David, so Joseph trusts God and he marries Mary. I want you to think for a moment what this cost him. I want you to think about Joseph's life from that point on. You see, this was a small town they probably had a very, t the, the Jewish community was much more tight knit than our communities are today, even. I enjoy the, the fellowship we have at this church, and we know when, when someone's sick, it gets spreads. Very, hopefully, the sickness doesn't spread, but we know about it really quickly so that we can pray for one another and care for one another. We know what's going on in one another's life. The, the community at this time was much closer knit than that. They depended upon one another. Their extended families were, were part of their, their very close family. And so people knew. 
I'm certain that people knew about what was going on. And, and they knew that Joseph married her anyway. And so what do, they, what do they think about Joseph? Either he's broken the law by, by having a child before marriage, which was taken much more seriously than it is today, or he's raising a child that's not his own. I want you to think for a moment if somebody came to you and, and said that, hey, you know, um, my fiancé is having a baby, but it's okay. It's from God. If someone came to you today and said that, would you believe them? That is probably about as much as the people in Joseph's life believed what he told them, if he told them that. Joseph lived his life, likely with people thinking and looking at him with disdain. It probably was not easy, but Joseph was obedient. And through this, not only did he follow through in obedience in marrying Mary and being Jesus' earthly father, he did, he did well with what he was entrusted. He did as best as he could to raise Jesus, to follow God, as strange as that might sound, to, to be obedient to the law and to protect them. What do we see? How We see that two, two things in Scripture. We see how he took them yearly to the temple which means he followed the law. He was a, an obedient Jewish man. And when there was threat on Jesus' life, what do they do? For three years, they put their life on hold and they go to Egypt. Probably at great cost to his, his family and to him, but Joseph cared for what he was entrusted with. And we should learn from this. All of us should learn from this as an example that children that we are given to parent, we recognize that they belong to the Lord and we we parent them as those who are entrusted with a precious gift and a sacred task to lead them to the Lord, to, to protect them, and to, to, fought, to raise them to know the Lord. And so from Joseph, we learn that we should be willing to trust God, even if it doesn't always make sense, especially to those around us. It doesn't matter what those around us think. And even if it costs us, even if it's difficult for us, and then we see Mary, Luke 1, 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a, to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favorable one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and, his, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And Mary said to the angel, who, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. When we went to Elizabethtown and we went to church with them and attended with them, they were going through a series where they were looking at, 
in preparing for Christmas, with going through Advent. And this, the passage that they looked at was the Magnificat, the, the, the song of Mary when she's with Elizabeth. And one of the things that he said in that sermon I thought was very telling. He said, you know, when it comes to Mary, he, he said that sometimes people that are our brother, that are, that are in the Catholic Church may hold Mary to a, a little bit higher of a standard than we might think that they should. But sometimes we don't acknowledge Mary enough. Mary was a humble servant of the Lord. Here she is, preparing, thinking in the opposite of, of Joseph, preparing to get married, and all of a sudden the Lord is asking her to do something that, as far as she knows, is going to cost her potential marriage and is going to impact the rest of her life. You're going to, to bear a child, and this child is going to be called the Son of God. You know, we have that song that we, we, we love to sing, and I love the song as well. Mary, did you know? She knew. She knew that the child she was carrying would be the Son of God. Now, did she know that she'd have to watch that child die? Did she know the extent to which it all would be? I don't know about that. But when the Lord came to her and presented this immense responsibility, what was her response? Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So from Mary, we see that we should be willing to be used by God. It might be unexpected. It will not always be easy. There may be pain. I want you to think about that. She raised him from a child and had to watch him die, a death that he didn't deserve. But if we will be obedient, people can be blessed through our obedience. Through Mary's obedience, Jesus was born. And because of that, not, not that Mary is the reason, but because of her obedience, or the Savior of the world was born. She got to play this small role in God's redemptive plan because she was willing to be obedient. We should be willing to be used by God because His plan is better than ours. And so this morning, we've, we've covered many things and we've talked about a lot of people and even a place. But I want you to reflect on yourself this morning, to, to look at your heart and look at yourself and your life and, and to see who from this manger scene can you identify with? Who from this manger scene can you look at your own life and see, I can learn from that person this morning? Because I would venture to say that, that God has arranged such a, a vast amount of people with various stations in life and responsibilities and tasks that He's given them that we can learn something this morning. So this morning, as we reflect, do you need to remember Christ's love? The, the reason we celebrate the birth of Christ, do you need to remember His love for you this morning? Are you reflecting His love in the way that you live your life? Are you a humble servant seeking to love others and to give your life, hoping to ransom, I want you to understand what I'm saying, others? Our life, if we're a Christian, should be spent in pointing people to Christ, to be soul winners, to be people who point people to God. We don't save them. We don't do anything of, the, of that sort, but we point them to the one who can. Are you devoting your life to serving others and pointing them to the one who can save them?
Do you know Him this morning? Do you have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ? It's not about attending church. It's not about knowing and understanding and and mentally affirming certain things. It's about realizing your sinfulness, realizing that is why Christ came and died for you. Because of His love for you, to be reconciled to God, to have a relationship with Him. Do you need to remember this morning that God can move in unlikely places? like Bethlehem. There can be times where it's easy in your life to be discouraged, to to feel like God isn't moving in your life or in the ways that you might want, but if you will remember that when we are obedient to Him, God can move in places we don't expect. This morning, do you need to remember God's acknowledgement of those in humble positions and His consistent inclusion of people who the world would not pick into His stories? Because if you've ever felt as though you are not good enough or not able to contribute, you are just the kind of person that God can and will use for His glory. Or this morning, maybe you need to remember to humble yourself before God. Maybe you are a little puffed up in this world. You've got a lot going for you, and and it's times like these we must remember that we must humble ourselves before God. Do you need to remember to be willing to trust God, even if it's hard? like Joseph did? Or do you need to be willing to be used by God because His plan is better to do what He calls you to do, even if it's not always what you would pick or what you might want? In the next several moments, we're going to have a time of invitation. I want to invite you to reflect on those things in your life. The altar will be open if you have any need to pray, or I will be down front if you need to pray or talk about what it means to have a relationship with Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this Christmas morning. We get to come and celebrate the birth of our Savior. And Lord, I pray that as we look at the scene and and what played out around his birth, that you would help us to look at our lives and to see how we might follow you better, to be encouraged by those who were people who were faithful to you and followed you and were obedient to you, to be encouraged most of all by the love that you've shown us in, in the birth of our Savior. God, I pray that you'd be with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope this sermon has been a blessing to you today. If you have any questions about what you've heard, we would love to hear from you through our church Facebook page, email, or by calling the church office.